have to follow your own path. But obviously also when you collect, not collecting only with your eyes, you're also collecting with your ears and your nose. So I talk to a lot of people about art, I listen to people, I read quite a bit, and I see a lot of art, and um, then I make up my own mind. Welcome to Collect Wisely, an ongoing series of podcasts in which we sit down with people who care deeply about art, discuss their passion for collecting. In this episode, we're speaking with Erling Kager, based in Oslo, Norway. Erling is a lawyer, publisher, writer, and explorer who has been an art collector for over 30 years. He's the first person to ever surmount the three poles, the North Pole, the South Pole, and the summit of Mount Everest. His collection champions young emerging artists focusing on individuals who are just starting out. In 2015, he published a poor collector's guide to buying great art to show how limitations can make for very interesting collections. His most recent publications, which I recommend to you all, they're quite wonderful, are Silence in the Age of Noise and Walking. Collect Wisely is an ongoing series of interviews with collectors from around the world in which we question the nature of collecting and connoisseurship in the 21st century and in doing so, hope to inspire a new generation of individuals committed to making a vital and meaningful investment in our common cultural future. Each Collect Wisely episode brings you personal stories from the perspective of an individual collector where we delve into their passion for collecting, what drives them and what inspires them. My name is Sean Kelly, and I've had a gallery in New York since 1991. Welcome, Erling, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, thank you. Um, I visited you at your home in, uh, in Norway some years ago, uh, in Oslo, uh, and was fascinating at ha- I was fascinated by how personal your collection is. Um, when did you first start collecting and what was the first thing you bought? Mm, the first thing I bought was a print by a Norwegian artist. I was 21 years old. I was lovesick. My girlfriend had left me. And the artist, artist you know, um, was very inspired by Edvard Munch. So it was about melancholy. It was about jealousy. And I identified with the work. <laughs> I bought it and I still have it. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, you know, I've interviewed a number of people for Collect Wisely. You have a very particular CV. I mean, it's remarkable uh, and, and it, you know, it's impossible to avoid talking to you about this. But you're the only man, uh, or you were the first man ever to walk to the North Pole, single-handed, the South Pole and the top of Mount Everest. Uh, remarkable achieve- achievements in, in and of themselves. How would you talk about that kind of single-mindedness and uh, commitment in, in, in the context of your passion for art. Are there any parallels? There are a few. Um, one is uh, curiosity. I think for me, uh, curiosity has been a driving force throughout my life. And also kind of curiosity in the sense that to explore, to discover. And to me, the opposite is to be waiting and be passive. And, um, and so curiosity, and also think, you know, we're all born explorers in the sense that when you look at kids, they would like to 
climb before they can walk, and as soon as they can walk, usually before they can talk, they walk out to the house and start to wonder what's between themselves and the horizon. And soon they will start to wonder what's hidden beyond the horizon. So that's some similarities. And a third one is, I think it's a willingness to make life more difficult than necessary. That's something that you've talked about, which I'm really fascinated mm -hmm. by. I mean, you've, you've talked, you, you, in an interview, you talked about how, you know, you are from Oslo, Norway, a very rich, very uh, enfranchised society. And you've talked about how if you were born in Sudan, you might feel very differently about this, but that because you're in Norway, you feel the need to make things more difficult. Where do you think, why, why do you think that's the case? Where does that come from? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, George Mallory famously said, you know, when asked, why do you climb Mount Everest? And he said, because it's there. And to me, what it, what, what it tried to express was that it's actually nothing in life you have to do. You don't even have to get out of your bed if your mother is willing to serve you dinner in bed. So it's all kind of degrees about making life more difficult. And of course, one of the meanings of life is to fulfill your own potentials. Then you have to make it more difficult. And so I think, you know, in my life, when I look back... But you don't have to walk to the North Pole, the South Pole and do Mount Everest. I, I mean, that's a, a degree of difficulty I'm, which seems beyond most of us, I would suggest. I'm very happy not everybody is doing it. It's <laughs> <laughs> very tough for me to compete. <laughs> There'd be nothing left. <laughs> exactly. But in terms of your, your interest in collecting... Uh, do those, does that kind of dedication and determination and extremeness translate into the collection? I mean, it's not an extreme collection. You're not trying to be, you're not trying to form a collection that is outrageous or crazy. Um, and the collection in many ways reflects many of your passions and, and interests, which I, I would suggest are, you know, if you think about silence, you've written a book on silence, You've written a book on walking and you just talked about waiting. Perhaps that's the next book. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, these are all things that are very solitary occupations. And do you think that collecting, uh, you know, the seri a serious collector, do you think that there is a solitariness to, to that process or do you think it's a very social process? Uh, it's definitely a solidary, sol solitary, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely by yourself, you know, with your choices and your opinions. Uh, to me, the social side is nice. It's not so interesting, but it's nice. I like a good party and a nice dinner. But it's definitely, you know, uh, you have to follow your own path. But obviously also when you collect, you collect, you're not collecting only with your eyes, you're also collecting with your ears and your nose. So I talk to a lot of people about art. I listen to people. I read quite a bit and I see a lot of art and um, then I make up my own mind. So it's, it's very much a solidarity thing, I think. And uh, to me it has to be. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with using an art advisor, but um, it's not for me. I, I like to do good choices and also accept that I'm going to do some, make some silly choices. So something uh, that a lot of people have talked about on Collect Wisely is that collecting has become almost their life in a way. It's almost taken over their lives in the sense that through collecting and, and traveling and moving, they've, they've become part of a community, that a sort of herd community that moves around the world grazing at the art fairs or wherever or major exhibitions. Um, 
Are you very different to that? Because obviously your activities are very singular. You're not really a community herd grazing type of person, I don't think. Um, so is the community of the art world very important to you or is it just something you dip in and out of? Um, you know, it's kind of important, not super important. And, um, but for me, it's also about uh, time and limitations of time uh, in the sense that I need to work uh, to have an income. And uh, I like to do lots of outdoors, like to spend time in nature. And I have um, three good looking daughters, blonde daughters I have to look after. So, you know, it's kind of limited how much time I have to travel to, you know, and to hang out at art fairs. Right. One of the things that, we, one of the things that we've uh, pursued in Collect Wisely is a lot of people talk about collecting, about listening rather than looking um, as a negative. And you just mentioned using your eyes, your ears and your nose. And one of our slogans is, you know, don't listen to the hype, you know, look, look not listen in a way. But you've talked specifically about listening and you've, you, you know, you've done it in previous interviews as well. How important is listening to what, to, you know, to what people are interested in they're talking about to you? I think um, I think it's um, in life in general. I I you know I, I really love listening to people. And just yesterday, I went to the hairdresser here in New York. I didn't know her. I just kind of kickstart the whole thing by just asking her two or three quick key questions about her life. And you know, we had a super interesting conversation. And uh, and uh, so to me, to talk to people, to watch people, to do people watching. Um, and to read and try to understand is, you know, that's kind of the, one of the meanings of life. You were trained originally as a, as a lawyer, right? Mm -hmm. You started off your mm -hmm. career as a lawyer, but you come from a family that was involved with publishing. You now have your own publishing house. Um, you're also an author, but recently I think you took a sabbatical and went back to university and spent a year reading philosophy. And there's a lot of philosophy that has appeared in the last couple of books. How important is that process, the philosophical thought process, to you in your choices that you make as a collector? Mm, you know, it's very much about wandering and uh, philosophy is about wandering and uh, certainly art is too, especially, you know, contemporary art. Um, so yeah, so I, but I kind of don't separate between um, reading philosophy, writing about philosophy, uh, seeing art, talking to people in the art community, talking to my hair, this hairdresser I will probably never see again. Um, so I don't separate between those things. I think, you know, it's, um, I just go on and uh, try to get up early in the morning and uh, make life as rich as, uh, as possible. How much of your day is, is spent with the publishing house or writing or thinking about art? How does that division occur? I don't divide between it. It's kind of, um, I do everything at the same time. I don't have any hobbies. It's kind of one big lifestyle. And I love publishing because um, um, you always have to think about the commercial matters and also have to think about consider intellectual challenges and questions during you know, daily work. And that's why I started this company, to have an interesting job and to be able to feed my family. 
And um, so, you know, and then during the days I own the company so I can, you know, spend time communicating with people in the art world, seeing art, traveling, you know, see some more art. And then I meet the publisher at the same time, maybe, and, you know, maybe like here in New York with two friends this week. We walked all of Broadway from uh, upstate north in Westchester uh, to the southern tip of uh, Manhattan. Mm. I mean, one of the more interesting things that you've done, I think. I know I, 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 I read uh, uh, interviews with you about walking Sunset Boulevard um, in, in L.A. And of course, you're very famous for, for the poles and for Everest. But one of the more interesting things that you've done, which I, you know, I'd be fascinated to hear about, I'm sure anybody listening would be, um, that is perhaps a little less known, is that you actually uh, tra traversed Manhattan underground through the sewer system. What on earth? <laughs> what on earth? When I hear you talking about it, I think it's, it sounds a bit exotic. Ex well, <laughs> exotic's an understatement. Why? Who came up with that one? I mean, to actually travel from the north of Manhattan to the southern tip of Manhattan in the sewer, the underground system, the sewer system. What possessed you to do that? Uh, it was, I had a friend who had this project about going underground and find people living underground in New York that mm. had mentally ill yeah. and get them out. And I was so surprised that, you know, it's a life uh, below the surface. Yeah, community. Yeah, and I want to see what New York would look like if you turned it upside down. Um, um, and of course, everything that happens above ground is somewhat reflected below ground. So I had this idea for several years, and then I met an American urban explorer called Steve Duncan. Mm. And together, also some other people came and went. We actually went up to Northern Bronx and went into the sewage uh, in 242nd Street, walked down to Harlem, and then crisscrossed the city, sleeping underground, but had to get above ground several times to ch uh, change tunnels. So went through sewage, train, water, and subway tunnels, and uh, eventually ended up in Jamaica Bay. Wow, amazing. But then we took, you know, took some cars, took some metros, etc. but kind of one direction. Yeah. What does an experience like that, how does that feed into your activity as a collector? What does it teach you? Uh, you know, we are part of all that we have met in the sense that this somehow also, you know, became a great experience for me. You know, I learned quite a bit about myself. I learned about New York and... Um, and uh, it was a tough time in my life because uh, the mother of my kids and myself, we kind of saw, start to understand that the relationship was falling apart. And, and then I even loved even more this idea about getting into the sewage. I felt like shit and I wanted to dive into <laughs> shit and somehow to clean up myself. And of course, you know, somehow, you know, you can walk away from your problems. And that's, you know, kind of what I did on that trip. But of course, when I came home, the problems were even they bigger. They were still there. Even bigger. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I looked at your resume mm. and thought about collecting, I would immediately, uh, erroneously, of course, assume that you would have a collection of the work of Richard Long, um, Andy Goldsworthy, uh, Hamish Fulton, and uh, you know, very specially English artists associated with land, with 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 walking, really, uh, and with landscape. 
Um, do you own works by any of, of those artists? No, and you know, that's kind of one of the things being a collector, you do all these mistakes <laughs> throughout your life. And of course I should have art by those guys, uh, you know, like Hamish, is even a friend, and Richard Long was, for me, was the first time I ever saw a piece by contemporary artist that I can remember mm. was Richard Long. Wow. It was in Louisiana in Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. I was 13 years old and he had put some gray rocks in a circle on the floor and I was laughing my head off because I thought it was silly. It was uh, the same kind of rocks that we had in our garden. And um, I kind of felt, you know, Richard Long is, you know, a bit stupid. I was 13 years and then, you know, a few months passed by, maybe some years. And then I start to understand that Richard Long was really into something super interesting. Mm. Um, and then I became a fan of Richard Long. Uh, I'm still a fan of Richard Long. Have you met Richard? Never. Mm. Very interesting. He's yeah. a super interesting guy, very empathetic mm. guy. Uh, I'm sure. But Hamish Fulton, uh, as I said, he's become a friend. And uh, I've been participating in performances he has, you know, mm. and we have been having conversations on stage. Mm. So, as, but as a collector, it's, um, uh, you tend to do... Uh, Is it too close? Ah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, actually, I think when I started out collecting, I felt it was too close. Yeah. Not today anymore, but also like Fish Don't Wise, they had this uh, kind of people, this kind of small sculptures with yeah. people struggling on the ice, etc. And then they didn't buy those because, um, as I said, I, exactly, it was too close. Today, you know, I consider it to be kind of a mistake. W mm. would, you, would you go back? Would you, would you now go and buy a Richard Long or a piece by Hamish? I mean, with the distance that you've got on the work and the understanding that you have on the work? I love to own works by, you know, by those two, but it's, um, but you know, I, I like to buy, you know, they're already established like great artists by art historians and everybody knows they're great artists and they're still making great art. Yeah. Uh, um, but I kind of tend to like to buy younger artists mm. that are not established, that are not kind of, the jury is still out whether they make great art. I mean, your collection is not exclusively associated with younger artists. I mean, you own works by Franz Vest, etc. important works by Franz Vest. I mean, it's not exclusively associated with younger artists, but that's the primary focus. You like to, to seek people out that are perhaps overlooked or underappreciated and, and collect them. You like to collect in depth as well. Um, where does that, when, when, did, when did you refine your idea about collecting to that uh, imperative that you wanted to collect younger and you wanted to be there early and you wanted to support artists early? Um, you know, it just kind of came to me maybe 20 years ago, maybe a little bit before. Uh, but at the time, I, you know, when I, um, so it was never a decision. As I said, um, I also bought many established artists, uh, but I did that mostly some quite a few years ago when they were reasonable to buy. Um, but so it's never a decision, just kind of, you know, it kind of just happened. And I like, you know, as I said, I like to make it more, more difficult. And of course, also with limited with money, um, it's nice to buy young art. And I think about, you know, my purchases somehow, you know, people talk, talk about it as investments. 
But to me, of course, I like a good deal. I like to be early, but to me, it's more like consumption. Like, you know, the money spent is like, you know, almost like an experience. And of course, as an outdoor guy, I know that the best things in life, they don't have any lasting forms. Um, yeah, so it's, it's um, uh, you know, I, I just like the idea that it's kind of unknown territory. And of course, you know, people tell you that you should buy what you like. Uh, to me, that's a silly, uh, at least it doesn't apply to me uh, because there's too many things in life today is about liking or disliking. But, you know, it's kind of a banal thing, you know, just to like or not to like. It's so much more into it. So I buy, you know, I don't, I buy, you know, a lot of art that I not neither like nor dislike. It's something I so find interesting. So if you don't use like or dislike as criteria, what is your criteria for decision-making about the works that you're buying? Um, you know, it's... Um, um, you know, it's, it's somehow words, somehow, you know, quite often has some limitations to express things in words because it's also part of a gut feeling, but also a qualified gut feeling. But as I said, um, I see all this art, I'll talk to people listening and kind of smelling what's going on. And, and then if a piece like, you know, this morning I saw this work for second time this week, I saw a show by Trisha Donnelly. Mm -hmm. And of course, to me, that's not about, you know, that's kind of beyond, you know, it's, it's, it's so complicated. So I just can't get it. So it's not about liking or disliking, just kind of, to me, beyond. But I love the works. Mm. And I think I can grow with those works. And I think, I, you know, in 10 years' time, I can still find something interesting. So they're really about whether they preoccupy you in a very particular way yeah, or, or, or fascinate you. Fascinate and that... I think I can live with it for more than three weeks and maybe three years, 30 years and somehow grow with it mm. and still, you know, keep on wondering what, what it is about. And um, yeah, and I think you know, quite a lot of the artists I collect, I really don't get what they are up to. I've got to ask you this because as somebody who's been so associated with feats of endurance, and, you know, really, I mean, you know, life, death-defying feats of endurance where you, you were at risk, you could have lived, you know, you could have lost your life. Um, are you attracted to artists who are extreme in terms of performance? Um, I mean, you know, I'm obviously personally thinking about Marina Abramovich or Derching Say, people who really... Uh, you know, where time slows down and where endurance is important and where the performative is important. Because there is an element to what you do that's very performative. And it's about time and it's about slowing down and it's about observation. Um, are you attracted to those kinds of artists or do people working in that sphere, working with art, not interest you? Uh, absolutely interested. Absolutely interested. Both those artists, super interested. And. Uh, how do you pronounce this name? Teshing Hesh? Teshing Hesh? Deutsching Say. Deutsching, okay. My Taiwanese is limited. But My it's, Taiwanese is not existent. But it's, uh, <laughs> but it's um, I have a photo, a series of photos of him in my kitchen, where he's jumping off, um, off a roof in the early 70s. And, I, you know, to me, you know, like a lot of art I collect, it's kind of, you know, 
it's almost like an autobiography. Like you know, you know, as a collector, you you make your own biography, and the other, the only red line is yourself. And I saw that work uh, in Venice and a few years ago, retrospective. And uh, I knew his work. I had this book on his works and seen it every now and then. But when I saw the retrospective, I, I just absolutely overwhelmed. And he has been an artist his whole life, and the whole retrospective was like 200 square meters. So it's uh, it's uh, very yeah. limited works. So it's, I think that's um, yeah, both those artists, Ab Abramovich too, for sure, very very inspiring. Can you give us an example of an artist that perhaps we wouldn't be that aware of that you've made a big commitment to, that you've collected in depth, that perhaps we wouldn't know as well in, in, in America or in market terms that's particularly been important for you over a period of time? Um, you know, quite a few. I have more than 100 artists I've been, I have been or still following closely. Um, one important artist for me uh, is my cousin, uh, who is a professor at MFA at uh, Rutgers. Um, her commercial mind is kind of close to zero, um, but she's a great artist. And uh, I started to buy art by her in my late 20s. And I still buy art. And, you know, she's exhibiting in New York and in also different places. But it's um, she's mostly unknown mm -hmm. painter. And um, I went to her studio yesterday morning and I just loved it. Yeah. So. Does your collection cross all disciplines? Or is it, do you collect, you know, do you collect photography, painting? I collect everything. Everything. Yeah, so there's no formal characteristics? No more formal and no sizes. I mean, if it's too big to get into my house, I still buy it, although, you know, it's <laughs> it's stupid. But, you know, it's 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 uh, that's, you know, that's one of the biggest worries people have is to, you know, to, 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 to appear like an idiot. But I think as a collector, you have to appear like an idiot. No, no, I was, I was mm. talking to somebody at an art fair recently and they said to me, uh, they said, well, I, you know, I'm reaching the limits of my, I can't fit any more art into my house, I'm going to have to stop collecting. And I said, that's the difference between somebody who's decorating and collecting. <laughs> that's brutal. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, many good things in life. They took it, it in good spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's not, it's not rational. It's like, you know, walking to the South Pole alone, it's absurd. Yeah, most people would not regard that as no, rational. But, like, also, but also to collect art, like, you know, maybe these people and myself and quite a few collectors, it is absurd. Is there anything, when you were walking, I mean, obviously it's about survival and getting to the next point and keeping going and getting to the end of the journey. But is there anything very profound or specific that happened to you psychologically on any of those trips that, you know, where you had a sort of uh, an understanding, I mean, not a religious experience or an epiphany in any way, but you had an understanding that you thought this is like art to me. This is, you know, I've, I've, I've encountered something in myself in this journey that I, I, it makes me understand art in a very, very different, profoundly different way. Mm. Yes, um, in the sense that um, all those hours and days and weeks and months and years out in the wilderness have, you know, have of, of course shaped me. So I look at the world in general, I think, you know, um, in a different way than most people. Um, I'm very much aware about, you know, keeping my joys uh, simple. 
and um, and of course when you in the open wilderness for a long time, you get more and more tired. You cold, you wear out. It's dangerous, etc. Um, you get very close to yourself, and I think that's also a good experience when you're seeing art. Um, yes, I think you know it's um, and also you know it also has a spiritual side, of course. Um, it's very much an expedition into yourself. So, yes, I think you know it's. It's very much influenced my life as an yeah, art collector. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. I mean, talking about the spiritual in relationship to art, or, or it, these days in contemporary society, talking about the spiritual in almost any context is is not something we do very much, is it? It's 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 sort of devalued as a currency. Um, it, you know, what what where is the spiritual in 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 all of this for you? As somebody who's been in very extreme circumstances. I'm not talking about the religious, I'm talking about the Mm -hmm. spiritual. I mean, if you think about, uh, you know, getting in contact with yourself in a very profound way in these extreme circumstances, and you think about the spiritual in art, which to me is incredibly important, that space, and artists as, you know, shaman in a way, Mm -hmm. historically, which was a position that artists occupied for us as humankind for millennia, um, do you think we're, we have changed that much or are we in a sort of spiritual crisis? Are we disconnected? Uh, and artists are now the way, you know, showing is the way forward or have they just become too market-driven? Uh, many artists are certainly too market-driven. Uh, they make it, you know, they have to make a living too. Um, but I, you know, my experience is that, um, you know, spiritual... Um, matters are coming back. People becoming more and more aware of it. Um, um, that's my experience. Um, I mean, it is actually really interesting because um, you know I've been a, a gallerist in New York for over thirty years, and I can remember very profoundly after the shock of nine eleven, which we lived through, mm. personally and professionally, that there was this incredibly powerful imperative for many of the collectors that we knew um, to, they wanted to be in their homes, they wanted to be with their family, and they wanted to be with beautiful objects surrounded by beautiful things and things that stimulated them uh, intellectually. And so, you know, at a moment when you could have thought the world is coming down around our ears and it's coming to an end, there was actually this incredibly powerful human imperative to be with the people you loved, with the things that you that you cared about, and to be surrounded by art. And to me, that was an incredibly important moment. Uh, and, and I was very uh, restored and heartened by that, as terrible as that moment was. And I found that really interesting. People came back to art, you know, in a very profound way. That's, uh, yeah. That's um, you know that's the same. When you're out in the wilderness for a long time, you also start to see you know what's important in life, and uh, of course all the matters that are not important at all. And I would think that would be some of the same same experience. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now you're not somebody who's that. I don't think you're at all fascinated or particularly interested in. I mean, not, you're not ignoring it, but I don't think of you as being somebody who's particularly fascinated or interested in the market or resale or, you know, you're leveraging your collection, you know, all these things, all this language that has 
invaded the art world from the from from the financial markets. How how do you think about you know auction records and markets in relationship to the artists you collect? Mm, as I said, I don't follow it closely, I, but I have a you know also a commercial mind, so you know I, I keep up. But uh, for me, to buy art is kind of a love story. I fall in love with art, um, and I like to keep the art. Um, I think you know throughout my life, I've maybe sold three or four pieces, and the only reason I sold it is because I got ridiculous prices and end up kind of liking the money even more than the piece. And that again made it possible to buy art. Uh, so there was a tipping point where, yeah, like, where, you know, where the reward of what you were going to get was... <laughs> like, you know, exactly, like, you know, was, um, I bought a piece once, you know, and went up a hundred times in value. And, you know, then I thought, you know, you know, all those, all that money is even more important for me than the piece. Uh, but then again, you know, I've been buying art, you know, maybe one piece a week for years in average. One piece a week. Yeah. Amazing. And, and uh, I hardly ever sold because, uh, because I like it. And, and people say it's ridiculous, you should sell it now, blah, 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 blah. But, you know. And Erling, when you sold that piece, mm. did you go out and, you know, have a, you know, did you go on a family holiday or did it all go back into art? It uh, actually took my family on safari in Africa. Oh, great. Yeah, so it's, uh, and that's, that again, you know, it's, Great memories are some of the you know, yeah. best things you can have in life, of yeah. course. And, but I spent every dollar beyond that on art. So it was really... A bit, a bit too quickly, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it really went back into supporting other artists. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and um, absolutely. It's, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not anti, you know, commercial things, anti-capitalism, anti-technology. I find that a bit boring. But um, I don't find any pleasure in spending money on, you know, many uh, other things that other people spend money on. But just to pick you up on that, because you have actually spoken uh, about being very concerned about technology and how it's affecting us in our lives and apps and, you know, this, perhaps the speed at which technology is now forcing us to move. Um, do you do you feel that that's an inevitability, or is it something that we should all be wary of, or should we be fighting against it, or embracing it? Um, yes, yes, on, on you know on all accounts. Uh, but you know, the, but the problem today is that people are wasting their lives on technology, and you can say, is this something wrong in technology? Not necessarily, but you know, what's wrong is that some of the brightest minds in the world, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people, are making apps that should you know, try to make us uh, addicted to. And if you look at the kid today, they will spend probably around four hours every day on social media. Mm. And if you live until 84 years old, uh, which you probably do in the States, uh, you will have spent 13 years day and night on social media. And of course, then again, people say, I'm stressed, I'm short on time, I'm sad, I'm lonely and even depressed. Of course you're depressed living that life because you have this huge, one huge, beautiful opportunity to live a rich life and you're wasting it on mostly bullshit. And that's, you know, it's, so it's, it's and, and this whole thing about disconnecting to nature, like in, like in England today, 
25% of all kids are not auto doing any, you know, spending time outside yeah, the home or school at all. Yeah. So, you know, it's not prisoners who are spending the least time doing outdoors in the world, it's actually kids. So do you think we're all making prisoners of ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, we need to learn from the top people in Silicon Valley, the people who invent all this stuff. They all, at least everybody I know, they all put you know severe limitations on the kids how yeah. much they can yeah, be available on, on social media, and and you know it's 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 kind of a disease and uh, and um, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that your last book is called Walking, uh, and you know when I was walking to the gallery this morning, uh, I realised that a very large portion of my time spent making that journey was trying to avoid people who were not looking up and not yeah. looking where they were going, who were actually looking at their phones and paying no attention to the social space that they occupied and you know whether they were gonna bump into me or anybody else because they, they're not paying attention. And indeed, you know, they're not actually experiencing the walk at all. So, so that's, you know, that's both, you know, problem for them because they're missing, you know. They have, you know, they 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 are not experiencing the situation at all. Uh, they're not present in their own lives. They're living, you know, either in the past or the future, um, which is very unhealthy in the long term. And um, but there's also a democratic problem that people kind of stop seeing each other. I think, mm. you know, if a democracy is going to work well, you have to see other people. You have to, you know, get to know other people. You have to, you know, see their faces. You have to see how they walk, how they behave. Uh, to get into what's happening in society, so I think you know it's a, it's yeah, it's it, it, it's problematic both on a personal and, a, and on 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 a, on a, on, a, on, a, on a democratic level. In that kind of environment, the environment that we live in today, uh, ideologically, what do you think the responsibility of the artist is uh, as as uh, as an idea? I mean, we, I mentioned you know the idea of artist as shaman, as the outsider, mm -hmm. as the person who exists outside the norm. Um, I know that you as a child, you know, were dyslexic and, and had a tough time at school. And indeed, you know, many of the most interesting people I know were not good academically. And they found a different way of being in the world, myself included. Uh, they found a different way of being in the world. And I think that, you know, for me personally, I, I, I suppose, you know, I, I, I became interested in artists. I almost uh, in, intuitively, I became interested in artists because they were, I felt a bit more like them. They were outsiders. They weren't good at sports. They weren't good at, you know, mm. the, you know they, the, maybe they had, you know, slight dyslexia or learning disability or whatever. A lot of artists do. A lot of artists don't drive because they, mm. they actually can't, you know, they're not, they're not able to function <laughs> in that, that way. Yeah. It's mm. a super interesting mm. fact. Mm. So, you know, what, what role do you think artists should have for us all in the 21st century? Ooh, you know, I always think it's nice if they can tell me something I didn't know from before. Um, and, you know, um, and also, you know, I think, you know, um, kind of see every problem, from, you know, most problem from different angles than other people. Um, but, you know, it's, I think that's hard to define because it's so many, so many artists and doing so many different sure, things. Sure, there's no And one. I think most artists, they're actually not qualified to 
tell us something we didn't know from before. And, uh, and, uh, so do you and, actively seek out the ones that you think are able to do that for us? Absolutely, but you know, I'm, 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 it's, it's difficult. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite often wrong, and and people change. So maybe people have this kind of gift for, you know, maybe a short time, or maybe for three years or ten years, and then, and then it works, and then it's over. Yeah. So it's, uh, so it's, um, but of course, for an artist, the main responsibility would be to make great art, to make good work. Mm -hmm. Do you like meeting artists, the artists that you collect, or do you do you actively? Yeah. Do that, or do you avoid it, or it's okay? No, if it I, I, I am. Uh, although I spent lots of time by myself, I'm a, I'm a, a social guy, so I really like meeting artists. But again, um, I don't have that much time to kind of look up artists and hang out with artists. So, but so, but I really like it. Uh, but it's not a goal for me. My goal as a collector is to buy fantastic art and to keep it and eventually also to, to show it. So it's, um, so that's my, and live with it. That's my, um, you know, goal as the collector. You've mentioned your girls. You have three daughters. I've met uh, them before. Um, have any of them inherited this uh, this bug or disease that you have as a collector? It's 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 uh, it's uh, getting there actually. Uh, of course I was, uh, uh, I was not, uh, you know, very clever uh, when they were kids. So I took them to all these art shows. They kind of vomited whenever I mentioned an, another art show to see. <laughs> uh, so they're anti, but you know, then they get teenagers a bit later uh, in life, and then they start to love it. So now we go to art shows together as much as possible to live here in the states. But um, so yes, they get more and more involved. Do you see any of them turning into collectors? Yeah, but you know, you, 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 we come from a family with we were privileged in the sense that we listened to great music and uh, read, you know, great literature. But we don't have any much wealth, um, so you know, the, as a collector, you need to earn some good money. If they will do, I don't know, but I think they have the the curiosity. Um, yeah, some, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not, but I don't care that much about it. Do you think that it would have been better to have sort of uh, to not take them to art shows, to not have exposed them that much, or to sort of reverse psychology to have tried to put them off being interested? No, in no, 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 no. I think for them to have seen so much great art and so much uh, not great art, I think has been fantastic. And I think it's a super way to socialize with the kids, to see art, to talk about art, trying yeah. to understand, you know, and they also meet some artists. And that's, you know, that's super privileged, I think, as a kid. Yeah, and they uh, absorb it. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, when they know it's happening. My father well. was a jazz critic and he took all these jazz artists back home after concerts and they were eating and drinking and drinking and, you know, having playing jazz yeah. into the morning. And to me, that's some of the happiest moments in my life uh, yeah. because, you know, they didn't talk that much with me, but I can watch all these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Do you remember the moment at which you thought I'm a collector or that you first applied the word collector to yourself? I was, I think that was a bit late. Um, it's, you know, to define yourself, it's not so interesting. It's more, it's better for other people to maybe to define yourself, but mm. it's, uh, um, even if I've written eight books, I don't think about myself as an author, obviously I am, but it's, um, um, I would think that was late, but of course I'm a collector. And what do you think about 
ideas in the 21st century, ideas surrounding collecting or connoisseurship. If you think about connoisseurship in the 21st century, how would you define that? Uh, you know, we, we can all, uh, I, I think all of those who are interested, all of those who is, of us who are interested can think about, you know, defining connoisseurship in, term, in, in the context of Leonardo da Vinci or Manet, but how do you define a connoisseurship in terms of a 21st century concept? Connoisseurship, what, what's that? Is um, really being, loving, collecting and being an expert in terms of what ah. you're looking at and what you're collecting. Um, so I learned something this morning too, that's very good. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think that's the interesting thing is that you haven't considered what that word <laughs> <No>. <laughs> is before. <laughs> um, so maybe it's not important this, this is, no, that's, this is important, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, you know, every art collector has kind of ambition with, with it, you know, um, with, with, with those goals. But some of you have to find your own path. But, you know, it's... Um, I certainly feel responsibility for, for the artists I collect and for the artworks. And um, I'm trying to, you know, support them by, you know, in any way, by, uh, both by action and by words and by ideas. And I even tried to, you know, I didn't say promote, but at least I tried to, yeah, one way I tried to also promote and help them. And it's, um, um, yeah, and absolutely, as you know, I mentioned my cousin, I forgot to say her name, Hanneline Rögeberg. You know, it's, it's, she gives me so much and I hope, really hope I give a lot back. And of course also, yeah, so that's, uh, you know, with many of the artists, I, yeah, I, I feel like a connoisseur. Well, that's good. Um, I can imagine you get a lot of invitations to talk about your experiences as an, as an explorer. Um, and uh, your collection has been shown at the Astrup Fernley Museum in Oslo, which is a very distinguished institution, which gives you more pleasure when you open your email if you get an invitation to speak as an explorer or a publisher or a writer or as a collector, which one would you say gives you the biggest thrill? Uh, today, collector. Um, but, you know, I mix it in somehow because this is all very important parts of my life, which I find hard to kind of separate. But um, uh, collector. Uh, but also about my books. I really like talking about my books, about mm. the idea, about silence, idea about walking and why it's important and, you know, where silence is and uh, what is silence. Um, because I wrote these books because I felt I had something really important to say. And I spent a lot of time and energy to write those few words. So I'm super happy whenever you know, someone said to me, I read your book and really gave me something. Well, I, I actually mm. have to say, I, I really look forward to your books. I love them. Mm. I mean, I love how condensed they are and how boiled down they are. And I know that in many respects, it's much more difficult to write something that has an economy than is uh, very, you know, that, it, that, is, that is just very wordy. And I find your books incredibly distilled. They're very condensed. Mm. They're very, they're, you know, they're packed with big, big ideas in a very economical package. And I always look forward to them very much. I mean, I feel like you're making these gems that you can take with you on a journey. Uh, and that you're very conscious of the weight of what you carry in, in yeah, the Yeah, thank you. Book. I think that's, <laughs> that's very nice of you to say because that's what I try to do. 
And when I write about silence, I don't want people to sit, you know, eight evenings to read about my ideas about silence. I would like them to sit one or two evenings, or maybe read a few minutes every now and then. And then, you know, just, you know, grow with the idea about the importance of silence in life. But it's also physically as an object, it's not war and peace. They are economic yeah. books. They're small. You can carry them with you. You can dip in and out of them mm. and you can be rewarded very quickly. Yeah. And, and, and to me, it's also important that they are beautiful. Yeah. Like, uh, like, uh, like, you know, I include uh, my own art and, you know, art I can't afford, but still low. Uh, into the books yeah. and uh, with my own photos and other photos from the ice and the mountains. So it's to me, it's super important that they are, you know. Well, they're also very beautiful objects. Exactly, and they yeah. should be because yeah. I think today. So is that your art form? Yeah, you could call it whatever you like, but it's uh, it's for me at least like you know, with my books, I think about you know absolutely everything. Not only what I write, but you know how it's going to present yeah. it. And you know, with with silence, I, I like with Edru Shale, Like you know, I gave him the text. He came back with artworks. Mm -hmm. I default you know, asked me to consider to put into the book. Kathy uh, Nopi, Clara Liden, uh, friends' photos from the ice, and even the quality of the paper. Mm -hmm. Of course, the design, etc. I'm very much involved. So I normally finish these conversations by asking one question, but I, I think in your case, I, I should allow myself the, uh, the pleasure of asking you two questions. Okay. So the, the first <laughs> of the two questions will be, what's the next challenge for you in terms of, uh, you know, being in the world? Is there a, a, a new North Pole for you? What's the next uh, idea, if you can talk about it? Because I know it's a very competitive world. <laughs> Uh, there's always, you know, new North Poles to, to reach for. Uh, today, I'm not having any um, particular plans, in, um, uh, but uh, in 2020, I will have three museum shows with my art. Uh, one at Museion in uh, Bolzano and uh, Van Gogh uh, Museum in Arles and uh, Sara Santander in Madrid. Um, so I find that very interesting, very nice, and uh, challenging, you know, on on several levels. So that's at least, you know, something for next year. So it's interesting that the response wasn't a walk or a, a, an endurance in in a in a in a step, you know, in an attenuated environment. It was actually museums. It was collections. It was your collection. I think it's you know, as a collector, that you know, three museums would like to show you a collection, uh, even two museums at the same time. You know, I didn't see it coming. So I feel very, very privileged. I feel super grateful. So there's a huge sense of achievement from the collection. Yeah, in one sense, but you know, it goes on. It, it, does, it doesn't stop by next year. So it's, it's kind of, so I don't think about it as an achievement as such. Uh, you know, when you walk to the South Pole, it's kind of achievement, but with writing, collecting, hiking, climbing, uh, sailing, it just goes on for, you know, but, but I, I think for most people, it would be very interesting, as it is for me, sitting in front of somebody who's gone to the North Pole or South Pole and the top of Everest on their own. And you ask them what the next great achievement is, <laughs> and they talk about showing their collection. Yeah. I, I, as a collector, 
right? As somebody who's spent th over 30 years, three decades collecting art, I think it's fantastic that that, <laughs> that, that, that is your next great achievement. Yeah, I think it's quite but wonderful. But, you know, it's a season for everything. And, yeah. you know, just for, for the record, I was alone to the South Pole, but North Pole with a friend. And okay, so, um, yeah. That, that's a that mm. I, uh, important, but uh, you know, doesn't change the achievement. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just don't want people to give me shit because I was bragging. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 mm. no. I'm mm. bragging for you. It's okay. You didn't <laughs> say you. it. I said it. Got it wrong. Um, so the the final question is: uh, we we always ask everybody who comes on, and it's always fascinating, and revealing to see what their choices are. If you could live, if you in the future could only live with one artwork, but it could be any artwork throughout the history of time. You don't have to own it it could be you know the Sistine Chapel um, something completely unattainable or in a museum somewhere that we know will never be available um, what would be the most inspiring artwork for you to to spend eternity with Ooh, I forgot that question actually um, ooh. you know I'm a big fan of Russian icons so, you know, a fantastic Russian icon would do. Wow, that's interesting. Um, that takes, talk, us, that takes us right back to spirituality exactly, and being alone. Exactly, And, you know, that's fantastic. And yeah. I think, you know, it would be, you know, the altarpiece by Grunewald. Um, you know, some of the... You only get one, you don't get three or four. <laughs> uh, a piece that has been really important for me uh, I don't think so much about it now, but it, like when I was younger, was uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, the one uh, on paper in National Gallery with uh, with with, uh, with um, uh, the two children and the two ladies sitting on each other's yeah. laps. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is it laid on the swan? No, it's not laid on the swan, but it's it's it's. Um, but I think maybe that piece. But you know, the challenge with art is that. If you have a pet, like I had a cat, then I had one favorite pet for as long as that cat was alive. And it still is my favorite pet, although unfortunately it died. But with art, you know, you're not loyal in that sense. It changes all the time. You see some fantastic art, you love it. And then you see some other fantastic art, and you love that too. And then, you know, tend to kind of not forget. But um, so with art, it's changing. So for me, that question is a tough one. Well, you've given us two great, three great, um, opportunities there or answers there an icon Grunwald and Leonardo so we'll take any one of those uh, and uh, obviously you're off to the next thing because you're thinking about the next art <laughs> not the art that you that, that you could have which is probably very very uh, you know uh, emblematic of your character so Erling it's been a huge pleasure to, to have thank you on you. Collect Wisely and thank you for doing this it's uh, it's always a pleasure to see you and, and to learn what you're looking at I'm always interested uh, in what, what's next fortunately many things great <laughs> well thank you for coming on it's been a real pleasure thanks for listening to today's episode Collect Wisely can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, and Google Play. You can also find our episodes on our YouTube page. Just search Sean Kelly Gallery. Please be sure to subscribe to get the freshest episodes when they release. And if you really like the show, please give us a review or drop a comment. Or you can email us at info at sky.com. You can also follow the Sean Kelly Gallery at SeanKellyNY on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Cheers! Cheers!